Good morning, everybody. Um, as uh, Mike mentioned, I am one of the pastors here at the River. Um, so I'm just going to dive right in. Today, we are uh, going to be starting a new sermon series called Renewal of the Mind. So our inspiration for the series comes from a verse in the book of Romans. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul said this, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So let's break this verse down into its parts. Do not be conformed to this age. Paul seems to be indicating here that we have two options. One, your thinking can be conformed to the age meaning you automatically go along with the conventions, standards, and values of your social context, the time period, the local culture, etc. Or your thinking can follow a different pattern. The next part of the verse says, but be transformed. According to Paul, the alternative to conforming is to allow yourself to be transformed. Conforming to the age is what our mind will, minds will naturally do. To break out of this conformity, our thinking patterns need to be changed. The next part of the verse says that this change takes place by the renewing of your mind. This is the title of our sermon series right here. And this is what we're going to be exploring together this summer. What does renewal of the mind look like? How does it work? And in what ways do our minds need to be renewed? The final segment of the verse says this, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is the reason why we should pursue renewal of the mind. According to Paul, as our minds are renewed, we develop the ability to discern, which means to perceive or recognize. And what we are meant to recognize is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The will of God here means God's desire for us to experience what is best. The hope is that as our minds are renewed, we will be more and more able to recognize and step into the abundant life in all its fullness that God offers us. So some of you know that I spend half the week working here at the river, and then I spend the other half of the week working as a therapist at a mental health clinic in Queens. I pursued a dual degree program in divinity and social work because I am incredibly passionate about how spirituality and mental health intersect. So I'm really excited about how this sermon series might be able to help us pursue emotional and spiritual health, both individually and together as a community. So today I want to talk a little bit about something called core beliefs. Core beliefs are the central ideas that we hold about ourselves, others, the world, and the future. Sometimes these beliefs are compared to sunglasses. All of our life experiences are filtered through the lenses of these glasses. So where do these core beliefs come from? Core beliefs develop over time starting in childhood. Significant events we experienced and witnessed, the way we were raised, the advice we received, the culture around us, all of those things come together to shape how we experience and perceive ourselves and the world. 
So core beliefs fall into two general buckets, positive, helpful beliefs, and negative, unhelpful beliefs. So let's take a look at an example. So imagine one person has the helpful core belief, I am worthy, and the other one has the unhelpful core belief, I'm not worthy. How will these beliefs impact their responses to the same situation? So for example, the situation is you meet a new person and think about asking them to go to coffee. Someone with the core belief, I'm not worthy, will have a different reaction to this situation than someone who has the core belief, I am worthy. The I am worthy might think something like, well, we might have fun if we go out together, and then might go on to ask that person out to coffee. Whereas, on the other hand, the person, the I'm not worthy individual might think something like, well, why would they ever want to go out with me? And then they wouldn't offer the invitation. So this is you know, a simple example, but it paints a picture of the power of core beliefs. Core beliefs are incredibly important because they influence how we treat ourselves and treat others. They influence our thoughts and internal self-talk. They influence the actions we do or don't take, and so much more. Negative core beliefs can be extremely harmful to us. They can lead us to experience things like low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, unhealthy relationships, substance abuse, and more. So when it comes to renewal of the mind, we don't need to focus as much on the positive, helpful core beliefs. These beliefs are already helping us to experience the abundant life in all its fullness that God invites us into. Negative core beliefs, on the other hand, can benefit from some examination and reshaping. So according to psychologist Judith Beck, negative core beliefs about the self fall into three categories. Helplessness, unlovability, and worthlessness. Some examples are, I am a failure. I am not good enough. I am unlovable or unlikable. I am bad. All of these beliefs say that there is something wrong with us at our core. But is this true? What does God have to say? A passage that can help shape our perspective is the first creation account, the seven-day creation story in Genesis 1. In the first creation account, there is a refrain that is repeated again and again and again. It says, and God saw that it was good. As God created the heavens and the earth, plants and animals, again and again, God stopped and saw that the creation was good. After creating humankind, God looked at the entirety of creation and saw that it was very good. Good in this context does not mean well-behaved. The Hebrew word means pleasing or delightful. God looked at the creation and was pleased and delighted. God saw that it was good. We, like the first humans, are part of God's good creation. We are created in the image of God, possessing inherent dignity and worth that does not need to be earned and that cannot be stripped away. God, God looks at us and is pleased and delighted, not with our doing, but with our being. Writers like Matthew Fox and Daniel Schroyer call this the original blessing. 
Through the lens of this original blessing, the negative core belief, I'm bad, is a lie. How can we be bad if God says that we are good? It just doesn't add up. Other negative core beliefs also crumble in the face of God's unconditional love for us. Let's take a look at a few examples. Let's take, I'm not worthy. Well, the essence of the gospel is that all human beings are worth the life of Jesus, God incarnate, no matter who they are. So that one doesn't stand up. What about, I'm not wanted? The Bible tells us story after story of God pursuing humanity. For example, God is like the shepherd who leaves the 99 to seek out the one who is lost. So I'm not wanted? Yeah, that's a lie too. What about I'm a failure? Well, let's take Peter for example. He failed by denying Jesus three times. How did Jesus respond? He forgave Peter and made him the rock of the church. Peter failed, but failure was not his identity or his future. So the I'm a failure belief, also false. Do you see where I'm going with this? Negative core beliefs do not align with the way that God sees and loves us. So why do we get disconnected from the truth of our goodness and belovedness or from the truth of God's unconditional love for us? This has always been a problem for humanity. We see this tendency described in the second creation account, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Before eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2 says that Adam and Eve were both naked and were not ashamed. But this changed after they ate from the tree. After eating the fruit, the story says, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. When Adam and Eve began to apply the knowledge of right and wrong, worthy or unworthy, they became disconnected from themselves, others, and God, and they began to experience shame. Brene Brown, you may have heard of her, I tend to mention her from time to time, Um, She's a researcher who studies courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. Brown defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Shame is extremely damaging. According to Brown, shame is highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, and eating disorders. Unlike guilt, which is a feeling you get when you did or perceived you did something wrong, shame is a feeling that your whole self is wrong. Guilt is, I did something bad, while shame is, I am bad. Do you remember that one? I am bad. That was one of the negative core beliefs we were looking at earlier. And it stands in direct opposition to God's agape love, which says that we are unconditionally worthy of love, belonging, and connection. So let's spend a few minutes talking about some practical steps we can take to renew our minds, to move away from shame and toward life in all its fullness.
My first practical suggestion is to spend some time investigating your core beliefs. One way to do this is to spend some time thinking about how you would fill in the blanks to these sentences. I am blank. People are blank. The world is blank. If you can, try not to censor yourself when doing this exercise. You'll get more out of it if you're honest with yourself. Then spend some time reflecting on how these core beliefs may be impacting your life. Ask yourself, are my core beliefs helpful, harmful, or neutral? Do they align with God's perspective? If not, what beliefs would help me experience more of God's abundant life in all its fullness? My second practical suggestion is to consider working with a therapist. So I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to talk about how therapy may be helpful for you. As I mentioned before, I myself am a therapist, so I may be biased, um, but I truly believe that therapy can be transformative. It definitely has been in my own life. Sometimes our core beliefs are obvious to us. You'll be able to easily identify them doing the exercise that I just walked us through. But other times we need help identifying the beliefs that are driving our thoughts and behaviors. Then comes the even harder part, changing negative core beliefs to positive ones. Personally, I've found that when seeking to make those kinds of changes, the more support I have, the better. That includes support from God, from my faith community, and also from my therapist. If you have questions about what therapy is like or how to find a therapist, uh, please reach out. I'm more than happy to talk about it with you and kind of walk you through the process. My third practical suggestion is to seek out God's perspective. Earlier, we looked at our human tendency to become disconnected from God's truths about who we are. As this is our tendency, we need to be intentional about reconnecting to God's perspective. One way to do this is to connect with God in prayer. We can ask God questions like, God, how do you see me? Or we can ask God to fill in the blanks to the sentences I mentioned earlier. I am, people are, the world is. God may respond in unexpected ways. Maybe an image, a memory, a song lyric, or a scripture passage will come to mind. One note about hearing from God in prayer. Remember that God loves unconditionally. God does not condemn. If you're hearing a condemning message, like one of those negative core beliefs that we talked about earlier, that's not God's voice. If you're in doubt, share what you're hearing with a pastor or other members of this community. We can help each other to discern God's voice. So as I invite the worship team up here, I'd like to end by sharing these words from author and therapist K.J. Ramsey. There's no imperfection in you that can keep you from being included in Christ's flock. There is no brokenness in your story that can revoke your belonging. There is no bruise on your body that is not seen by our shepherd. Because he chose to be rejected, you always belong. 
No one can steal your belovedness as a sheep bought by Christ's own blood. No fear can take away your place. No one can shove you out of the good shepherd's sight. Only in the light of his face can you see the grace of your place. This green ground is where you already belong.